0: Well, in seminary, when you're going through preaching class, they tell you give the congregation one illustration. Because if you give them more than one illustration, they'll just get lost and confused. But this is no normal congregation. So you get two illustrations. The first one deals with exclusivity. You hear it all the time in marketing. This is an exclusive offer. You get it in the email. Mr. Rumley, this is an exclusive offer for you. You get it in your normal mail. I get this mail. Exclusive offer. And you see, you always check the the stamp on there. It's mass media. This was not just sent to Mr. Rumley. This was sent to Mr. Rumley and one million of his friends, but they try to get you. It's exclusive. It's for you. Or or you, you see it when you go to a concert in a couple months we're going to go to a concert. I'm sure some of them are going to have exclusive access. They're going to get backstage passes. And so everybody sees exclusivity. We believe in it, in marketing techniques, uh, but many balk at the idea that God is exclusive. And so we, we take our American materialistic idea of their use of the term and we try to import that on the biblical. And we're going to see that that's not right. And the second illustration would be not just exclusivity, but disregard, to pay no attention and to ignore. And my friends, that is what's happened to our one exclusive God. Now, I was born in 1973. That's a long time ago to some of you. But to some of you, you see me as a kid because some of you were living in the 60s. Do you remember that, some of you? Living in the 60s. Because in the 60s, something happened in America. We went public and started to explore what life without God would be. Dylan said, there's an answer, my friend, and it's blowing in the wind. And so you just grab for whatever truth it is. And I was going to show a video, but I couldn't. Because there's a part in it was just inappropriate. Because we go to Woodstock and we just leave everything at home, even our clothes. And so the 60s explored it. The 70s honed it. The psychedelic 70s said, hey, this idea of not following God, doing what I want, getting into drugs, this is pretty cool. And John Travolta nailed it when he was, he was dancing. He, he said, well, not only do we hone it, but we can put it into rhythm and rhyme. In the 80s, we felt it a little bit. But in the 90s, we've settled in. We settle on it. There is no such thing as God. There's all types of God. And so we just need to love one another. What what Lennon said then has become reality now. Imagine all the people. Imagine life without heaven. Just imagine everything, everybody trying to live peacefully, and we coexist. And that's where we've landed. And so in 2000, we celebrate. It's a popular thing not to be narrow and hold to the truths of Scripture. It is a popular thing to be all welcoming to everybody and just to disregard God and His Word, to pay no attention to it, to ignore it. That is why we had Romans 1 read to you. That is the state of the world. So this freedom, this confusion as to what exclusivity is, this idea of freedom without boundaries leads to frustration and loneliness. It's interesting. Go read it. Google it. You can start to see even secular society says... We can't live this way. We need rules, to which I would like to reply. And they were given to us a long, long time ago. And so we're going to see them in the Ten Commandments. You see it in today's day. There's crime. There's addictions. You see it in our music. I mean, we've come a long way from I want to hold your hand. There are lyrics uh, and music today I can't even repeat from the pulpit. They're that bad. This is nothing new. Corruption and violence. I mean, it, You start in Genesis 6. This is what grieved God to his heart. And so this confusion necessitates a compass. We need a due north. We need a moral compass. We don't need a moral compass that we're going to put out on the lawn of the state capitol or just put on a wall, but we need a compass that we're going to live by. It's not hung on the wall. It's held in our hand, and it is seen in Exodus 21 through 3. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 20, and here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see God. We're going to see Man, We're going to see how this leads us to Jesus and how this will help us on our mission. If uh, verses 1 and 2 is the preamble, verse 3 starts the constitution of those who follow God. And so we get in verse 1 of chapter 20. For those of you who weren't here last week. And God spoke all these words, saying. The Hebrew term for the word God there is Elohim. It means plurality of majesty, that this is the creator, this is the revealer, and he is plural, that we go back to Genesis, and it said, let us make man in our image. And we know that he is talking about some, something other than just the angels there because we're not made in the image of angels. Let us make man in our image. And it says, so God created man in his own image. And so from the very beginning, we're given glimpses of this plurality and then, it, and then this singularity. Let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created him. It was in his image. And later on throughout the Old Testament into the New, you see the Trinity is revealed. And so here's this Trinitarian God who spoke. And when he speaks, things happen. There was nothing, and then there was light. There was nothing, and then there was water. There was nothing, and then there was land. Light, water, land. And that's how he formed the world. And then he came through, and he filled the light with stars and the sun and the moon. He came, and he filled the land. He came in, or filled the water, and he came in, and he filled the land. And the epitome of that was mankind. And so this creator God spoke all these words. This wasn't between Moses and God, and this is what he said. I am the Lord your God. And so you get a different word, Yahweh. You get the personal. So not only is God plural, He is personal. He is a covenant keeper. He is a promise keeper. God is not a force or even a principle on a piece of paper. I have to say that when I take my kids to see Star Wars. There's not a force out there that you're longing to be like. There is a God who exists and He created the world and we're to follow Him. And though and this God is personal, he is also purposeful and he is powerful. I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He is powerful. In two other sections, one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch, he tells us how and why he took us out, or he took them out. In Exodus 13, 14, And when the time had come, your son asks you what, did ask you, what does this mean? And so you're talking about this Passover. You're talking about this meal you're sharing. You're talking about the history of your people. And your son asks, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. He did it with great power. And in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord God set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. God didn't choose you because you were great. And he's he's like, oh, my, the nation of Israel, they're so mighty. I must make them my people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping a note that he swore to your fathers that the Lord who brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He is powerful, he is purposeful, and he is passionate about the people he loves. That is the context. You mean to tell me this God who created the world, this God who formed a nation, now he's going to give me the rules of life that set me free? Yes. And here is his first one through which all the others, if you get this one wrong, you'll get all the others wrong. If you get this one right, chances are you'll get the rest right. And here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's just walk through that. The you here. The Ten Commandments were given to the nation as a whole. This wasn't to the scholars. This was given in strong, simple terms that anyone could understand. You shall have no other gods. No other gods. The, Bible said, the Net Bible says the negative uh, with this grammatical setup is the best reflected. You shall not. You will not. And it's a strong exhortation to obedience. You shall not have. You shall have no other gods. This isn't the clash of titans. I grew up in the 70s. The clash of titans where all these gods are warring. No, they're literally, and I'm going to show you from the scriptures, there are literally no other true gods on the planet. None. In the universe, there are no other gods. You're saying, where do you get that? I get that from the word. Let me just read these to you. You can see the addresses there. Copy them down if you want to go check them. But trust me, I copied them straight from Logos, so it's got to be right. Know therefore today, lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. There is no other. Deuteronomy 4.39. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. 1 Kings 8.60. And then you get a slew of text from Isaiah. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. That the people in that bay know from the rising of the sun, from the setting, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. They will plead with you saying, surely God is in you. There is no other. Isaiah 55, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, who formed the earth and made it. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 21. Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? Isaiah forty five, twenty two. Turn and be saved, all the ends of the earth. It's an invitation to everyone, for I am God, and there is no other. Isaiah forty six, nine, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. And Mark twelve thirty two. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides. Well, if there are truly no other gods, why does God say they go after other gods? Like in Jeremiah 35, 15, I have sent to you all my servants and prophets, sending them persistently saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers. And so Alistair Begg says it the best. The first commandment excludes all other gods what kind of gods? Gods made by man. Well, you may be thinking, but I've read in the Bible that Satan is a god. Second Corinthians four four. In their case, the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It would seem that Satan has some powers, but is nowhere on the same level as God. And it would seem that all other so-called gods are just different manifestations from his schemes to turn people away from the one true God, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one is the activity of Satan. So I believe every other God that's ever been created is the activity of Satan with all powers and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. There are absolutely... According to the scriptures, I am convinced no other gods. Why do I spend so much time on that? To let you know not only is your God plural, not only is your God personal and powerful and purposeful. There is no other God. You don't need another God because he is perfect. If he weren't perfect, I would need another God. That's why you have the clash of titans. That's why you have this Greek and Roman history of multiple gods warring because this God could only do so much. And so then you needed this God. And then in Ephesus, they needed this God. no. You and I don't need any other gods. He is perfect. He is plural. He is personal. He is powerful. He is perfect. He is passionate. And notice he is present. In Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods literally before me or besides me because he is present. This isn't the idea that some said, well, you you can worship God and you can worship other gods, as some try to say, but just not at the same time. No, that's not what this means. This is the proper biblical idea of exclusivity. The use of this before me is much like in a marriage relationship. There are other women out there, but I am in an exclusive relationship with one woman. And this is why God gets jealous, as we'll see in verse 5 later on in this series. This is biblical exclusivity. And those of you who are happily married understand this, that we serve a God who is plural, And when I say plural, I mean our God is Trinitarian. And when I say that, according to the scriptures, this is what separates us from our monotheistic cousins. But the God of Islam and the God of the Jews is not the God that we love and serve. They don't believe in the Trinitarian God. They don't believe Jesus as God. And so they reject the Trinity. And that's what separates us from every other religion on the planet. And so that is why it is good that the president of Wheaton said to the professor who she's going to wear her uh, gown and she's going to do this to show that we're in solidarity with Islam and he said I am so sorry but you're on administrative leave and you will lose your post though you have tenure because you are now going against the theological mores of this institution. We do not serve the same god. He is plural. And he is personal. He is Yahweh, He loves you when he created the world spectacular it was God did this, God said this, God said this, when he created it special said the Lord God took man and he He formed man and the Lord God because man is different from woman, he fashioned woman, and so that's where I told my daughter that's why you and your mother go shopping. He fashioned you, He formed us we're different <laughs> And then I explained to her, that's not what the biblical Hebrew means in fashion, but it is a nice way to show that we are different. He is personal. He is powerful. He took him out by his mighty hand. He is perfect. There are no other gods. He is passionate, just like a husband should be passionate for his wife, a wife for her husband. And he is present. He is always with us. And thus, he is praiseworthy. He is praiseworthy. We should praise That is why when we sing here, it brings joy to hear people singing or when I'm up here and I see people singing, that they're actually engaging with the song. They're not just going through the motions. Almighty, I've got so much on my mind, I don't want to be here. That's not how we approach the one and only God. I don't deserve any of this. But you set your affection upon me just like you did the nation of Israel, and thank you. I am humbled. So, that, that is a picture of the God of the Bible. Not of the God of other religions. Not of the God of people's own making, as we shall see here in a few minutes. This is the God of the Bible. He is perfect. How did Israel do? Now we're moving from God to man. Well, we end, I took a phrase off Jeremiah thirty-five fifteen. wanted to show you, I've sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently. He cares about his people saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way, amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you to, to your, you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. And that, my friends, is the beloved story of the scriptures from Genesis 3 through Revelation up to today. Cain didn't bring a good offering, got frustrated, killed his brother. Lamech heard that you're not supposed to kill Cain and made his own laws. If if Lamech, if Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77. Esau gave over everything he had for a bowl of chili. And I could go on and on and on about all those in the Scriptures. And then I have to ask the question of myself and you. How about us? How about you and I? When it comes to following the one perfect God, we've been shown shown the same common grace. He gives reins to those whom he will. We've seen the scriptures. We've seen the special revelation. But my friends, you and I are a rebellious culture. We live in a rebellious culture. Not just the culture of the valley. I'm talking the culture of America. I'm talking, yay, the culture of the world. Nobody can tell this world what to do. They want a God, but they don't want the God. And they want, really, that that a god to be them as the god. They get to choose. Today it's Mickey D's, tomorrow it's Wednesday, Wendy's, and maybe then I'll go to Moe's. I get to choose where I eat. They exist for me. And that is very much pagan thinking. Pagans go and see these polytheistic gods who exist for them, and so I have to placate this one to make my crops grow. I have to placate this one to make my marriage grow. I have to placate this one for other reasons. But the God of the Bible says, no, 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 you exist for me. I created you for my glory. The weightiness of who I am displayed to the world. And so society left to itself lives out Romans 1 that Mickey read to a T. We've exchanged the creator for the creature. How have we done this? Jeremiah 9 gives us three reasons. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. We've traded it for intellectual pursuits. Now, if if I were to come back from some time off and I have a PhD, you would think, oh, he has a PhD. Wow, he's intellectually superior. Let not the mighty man boast of his might, physical. This is what happens across the world. We either try it through intellect or we try it through physical force. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, materialism, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on er on the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Would you say that people have gone after other gods in the areas of the intellect, in the areas of the physical, in the areas of the material? Right there. But that's not all. All of those can be summarized in a few other categories. Number one, one of the things we chase after in that we, all of us, if we're not careful, can make God his power. Habakkuk says it like this. He brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out of his net. He gathers them into his dragnet. So he rejoices in his glad. This is talking about a fisherman who gets his fish. And therefore, look at 16, he sacrifices to his net. Not the God who created fish or oceans, but he sacrifices to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. And for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. And you're saying... That's Habakkuk. That's so yesterday. No, that's today. That was just the technology of yesterday. And today, we sacrifice to technology. It's powerful. Information is powerful. It's literally at our fingertips. We can know, and so we desire to know and demand to know and dedicate ourselves to knowing. Because the more we know, the more powerful we are. Well, the more we can make, which leads to the next one, the more money we can make, the more powerful and the more possessions we can have. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, and here Matthew, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just made money, as some people do, put it on the equal status as God. You cannot serve God and money. But how many people are driven by money? Because money is powerful. And money will bring you uh, security. Money will bring you, can bring you success. Money can bring you pleasure. And so I would dare say that if we just went out these doors here and we walked across to that neighborhood, just, just take that one. And I'm sure you could do the same down there in that yonder land. But if we w- walked right over here, I'm pretty sure, and I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure if we were to check their, and you can't reveal this because of your banker client privileges, but if we were to check their bank accounts, they're pretty much leveraged. Probably not a big cash. There's probably a whole lot of debt over there and over here and over there. Because we believe the more we have, the more powerful we will, And that can become like our God. Or here's a big one. Philippians 3.19. Their, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. Passion and pleasure. Their food, literally, can be a God. Sex can be a God. Addictions of whatever kind can be a God. Whatever makes us feel good. I am firmly convinced that people get addicted because they want to feel good. They're escaping something and they get addicted because they want to feel good. It takes away the pain. I've been there. I've done that. I've got all the social T-shirts from a fraternity. You have to give those up like five years after you graduate. Been there and done that. My God was my belly, and I wanted to fill it as much as possible. Did it? Has that changed today? I mean, you're, that's Philippians. That's back in AD 60. Has that changed today? Absolutely not. Whatever makes people feel good, if it feels good, if it feels good, it must be right. And it becomes a God and here's the big one. it can be people. we can put others up as a God. Galatians 1:10 For I am now for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. you either serve Christ or you serve others that become Godlike to you because you want their approval and we can seek it in our wives can seek it in our kids. We've raised a generation of people who are entitled. Their self-esteem is crippled if they don't get what they want. We have made little mini-gods out of a future generation. J.I. Packer says it like this and summarizes all this. Your God is what you love, seek, worship, and allow to control you. Heart loyalty is the soil out of which your life grows. So the question is, what do you love? What do you love? And how do we know what we love? What do you dream about? What do you daydream about? A.W. Tozer says, whatever your mind goes to, that's your God. Does it go to exercise? Does it go to the God of the scriptures? Does it go to, I don't know what I'm going to do with my finances, perhaps then money is your God. I don't know what I'm going to do with this relationship, Perhaps people are your gun. Another question to ask is, who, who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of you? Who's in charge of me? While back, Jim preached a sermon, you're not the boss of me. He said, what do you think? I said, that's a great title because that's where we sit. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. He could have just walked up here and preaching a sermon called You're Not the Boss of Me, read Exodus 20, verse 3, thrown the mic down, and walked out. You shall have no other gods before me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I've been raised, and my self-esteem is built upon all I can accomplish and all I can do. Don't you tell me what to do. No, God is not only in charge of your Sundays, that is, who you worship, He's in charge of your Mondays. That's where you work. He's in charge of your Fridays. Those are your relationships. He's in charge of your Saturdays, your hobbies. Well, I'll I'll give God my time on Sunday, but, man, Monday through Friday, I really got to focus. No, He's the the God of your job. Well, I'll I'll give God my Sundays and Monday through Friday, but, man, Saturdays are mine. I need a little downtime. No, no. He's the God of your hobbies. See, I think... And I'm not, I don't think I'm off. I think we're more akin to the culture of judges than those who would follow after Exodus 23. Judges says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It is amazing to me when, and I'll just say this, generally speaking, from a church perspective, when we ask people to do certain things, there's this, but you're not in charge of me. But maybe you're a member of the church. But I mean, I only I have this arm's length distance from you and I'll give you what I want to give you when I want to give it to you. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It's not how it works in the church. Certainly not how it works in your office. It's probably not how it works in your family. But that's the way we want to live. I want to do what is right. I'm going to teach this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Because and ultimately, at the end of the day, I am my own God. And I define it how I want to do. Oz Guinness talks about three umpires. This is great for you baseball lovers. Calling balls and strikes. And the first one is the most biblical. He says, I report them as they are. That is reporting the truth. The second one says, well, I call them as I see them. You know, my experience dictates this. And then there's the other one that says, you know what? They aren't even balls and strikes until I create them. And that is exactly what we've done. And if you think I'm just throwing in a cute illustration to buy time, think about it this way. We have now gone in our country and we've redefined marriage. We don't report the truth anymore. We don't even experience anymore. We've just now created. This is how it's going to be. And Scalia and those men wrote opposals uh, and he said, you are going against the entire living Civilization and you've just now, because you felt it was right, because you're a lawyer, and you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, and now you sit on the Supreme Court, you now just decided, this is what marriage is, and you what you've just said is, I am God. And if you don't believe that, then we need to have a coffee. But the Supreme Court is no longer a court to sit back, take in cases, and try to determine what what is in an, an accordance with the law, We have just now made them. They are the law, and they are our gods. Watch out. Watch out. And what's going to happen? We've said, no, there's not one God, perfect, plural, passionate about us. No, it's the God of our making, and it's going to undo families. It's going to destroy civilizations. We have failed. How are we doing? And you say, Well, don't leave it there. I know. We move from God to man to, to Jesus. How did Jesus do with this whole idea, you shall have no other gods before me? Because if Jesus is my Savior, if Jesus is the one we sing about, if Jesus is why we're here, if he's the Sunday school answer, how did he do with this? Well, I'll show you. Matthew 4:10. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I won't serve you. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13, which is basically a commentary on the Ten Commandments. How did Jesus, not only did Jesus know the word, did Jesus live the word? He learned it and then did he live it? He sure did, John 12.49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. That should, that should be mind-blowing when it's called for all of us, whatever re- circle of influence and whatever, where we are fit in the hierarchy of a church or in our family, that should blow us away. Jesus Christ was the most submissive man on the planet. Ladies, that should revolutionize the way you, you read Ephesians 5. He was the most submissive man on the planet. Equal with God, yes, but not something to be grasped. If God said it, he did it. So much so, he could say in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He didn't mess it up once. He didn't go, oh, yeah, God, I did almost everything, but you remember that one time? He didn't do that. He was perfect. And thus, through him, we have access to this one perfect This one perfect God, and so what is our answer to to the world? The world's going to say, "You really believe in the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Really? There's this. How do you know that a God exists? I mean, the answer is not atheism. They're they're ignorant in their arrogance. The atheist says, basically, they say this: there is no God. That is the worst position ever. It's the, seriously, and I'm not trying to be facetious. Or, that's the worst position ever. I'm like, so you're telling me you've, you've gone all over the globe, you've researched, you've basically researched everything, all knowledge for all time in every place on the planet. You've researched it all. You've sat back and you said, you know what, there is no God. I think Darth Vader says it best for them, I find your lack of faith disturbing. That even the dark side had faith. See, you cannot hold position A, that I don't believe in this position, without holding a subsequent position over here, B, that you do believe in something. Atheists have faith. It's the silliest position on the planet. Have them draw a circle. You want practical application. At a coffee shop, pull out a napkin. You draw a circle, and you say, "This circle represents all knowledge of all time in every place. How much of this do you know? Even the most arrogant atheist is going to be within that circle somewhere." And say, "Could it be, Mr. Atheist, that you, um, in that in that space, however much between the outside circle of all knowledge for all?" all time and all places, could there be somewhere in that space that maybe you haven't figured out the answer? Well, yes. Okay, then never, ever again call yourself an atheist. Just call yourself an agnostic. Say, I don't know. But you can't be an atheist. It's the silliest position. It's not even worth talking about anymore. Well, then what about all gods? I mean, I mean it's mentioned over and over. What about these other gods? Polytheism isn't the answer. Well, I mean, aren't all religions just, I mean, aren't they all kind of blind grasping and each one's grabbed a hold of the elephant and this one describes the trunk and this one the leg and these are the ears? That too is a silly position because what it necessitates is you've just sat back and said you can see the whole picture. One, one cannot claim that all religions lead to the same God unless you get up above all religions and you see them all equally and nobody can do that. Nobody's in a position to see it all. And so here's where that leads us. If it's not no God and it's not all God, then what about the one God? And that is where we get the biblical idea of exclusivity. There's one God who revealed himself in the scriptures. And here's the thing. But aren't you just a narrow Bible beater? I mean, come on, that's so outdated. Here's what I would say to anybody who said that to me. I would say, it is no more narrow for me to believe that there's one God who truly exists who created the world and there are no other gods and everything leads to him meaning that all these relig- there's no there's it's not narrow for me to say there's just one God. It's no more narrow for me to say that than you say in that the one view that everybody should hold to is pluralism. That's pretty narrow you catch that? You're, you're telling me my, my exclusivity is narrow because I hold to the one true God that I think is revealed in the scriptures. You're narrow because you think pluralism is the answer to everything. That's very narrow. I think you're an exclusivist. Believing in the one true God of the Bible is no more narrow than everybody that says we got to believe in everything else. Their exclusivism is just bigger than ours. It's so what has happened as we've failed to recognize God, and so now we've centered it on mankind. Mankind is the answer to everything, and thus we've made mankind God. And thus, because mankind still needs something to worship, we look to science or spiritualism. And the world is grasping for air and drowning in its own pool of creation itself. And what has happened, another prophet of the 70s, Pink Floyd, I heard this. I got through working out, I think it was on Monday, I went in to change clothes and all I hear is, I have become comfortably numb. And I'm like, oh, Pink Floyd. I mean, it's just so, I felt like I was in the 60s and early 70s again. It's just slow and methodical, comfortably numb. And that is the state that our society is in. We're comfortably numb. We've learned to live with it. And any objection to it is seen as wrong and bigoted, that's what they're going to call us. I'm a bigot now. I'm a legalist. I'm uh, crazy. Because I think there's just one way to heaven. So here's the answer you give the world. There's nothing before God. There's no middle ground. Jesus said it himself. John fourteen six. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one. No one comes to the Father, except through me. The Father gave the law, the Son leads, the law leads to the Son, and the Son gives us the Father. You mean to tell me that in Jesus Christ I have access to God? Yes. First Peter three eighteen a says this, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, that is Jesus, for the unrighteous, that is us. Why? Why all this talk of forgiveness? Why all this talk of redemption? Why all this talk of Election. Why all this talk of glorification? Why all this theological talk? Here's the answer. That he might bring us to God. You mean to tell me that in Jesus Christ, this one God you've been talking about, I have access to him. Yes, you get God. You get the perfect, powerful, passionate, personal, present God. And once you get that, do you know what comes after that? It's beautiful. Psalm 16, 11. David reflecting upon God. You have made known to me the path of life. Sounds like what we've been talking about in the Ten Commandments. God made it known. That in God's presence, you shall have no other gods before me. I am forever present with you. Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the ages, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the path of life and in his presence is fullness of joy. You've heard me say it before. I'm just mimicking C.S. Lewis. We We should be the happiest people on the planet. And with and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whoa. You mean to tell me if I will limit myself and I will follow this one true God? If I won't make a God out of my possessions, out of my power and position, if I won't make a God out of my wife or my kids, and we, we can do that. We can do that. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, Lord, help me love you more than I love my earthly dearest. So that when I uh, love my earthly dearest, so I ought to love her as I should. Love God, and then, and then we can do it with our kids. We can freak out about everything about our kids, my kids, this, my kids. my kids are sitting there. We <laughs> gotta. Or we can just take a real simple approach to life. I'm gonna. Here's my parenting book. I'm not even gonna make any money on this one. This is it. Love God so that they see that in your life. Feed them. That's that's good. Clothe them. Make them take a shower. And then read the Bible and pray with them. Whoa. Send your money, checks, just make them payable to Judd Romney. It's it's amazing. So you mean to tell me I'm just to model it in my own life, take good care of them, and then just teach them God's ways from the Scripture? Yeah. What about all that other stuff? Okay. I'm just going to try to model it as best I can, ask forgiveness when I fail. I'm going to make sure that when they run outside and it's minus seven, they put a coat on, and then I'm just going to teach them about Jesus. That's it. I'm not going to get caught up into... Should I do this, that, and the other? And You know, which which educations? I don't care. I don't care. They need to know this. They need to know their daddy and mommy love them, love God, love them, and teach them the word. That's it. But we make gods out of them. We make gods out of pleasure, and we escape. Things get tough in our life, and, and this is what happens. I'm just going to head to Wherever. Have a beer, and then I'm just going to go there again and have two beers. And the next thing you know, my whole life is just consumed with alcohol. It happens. Or I, I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to be that obvious about it. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to escape when the wife's asleep. I'm just going to get on the computer. I'm just going to click it just once. And then I'm going to click it twice, and all of a sudden beautiful person god's given us and we we've created this little world as lewis said we have our own imaginary harems we go after that and we have to this god of pleasure or i'm just going to go read fantasy novels every shade of gray or whatever that is or fantasy novels about the man that i wish somebody would be and just live in this fantasy land it happens and we've created a world of polytheistic false gods that don't satisfy but if we would, we, it's been made known to us. It's the path of life. It's been made known to us. And, and with God's presence, there's a fullness of joy. And, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You heard me say last week that we're calling these the disciplines of grace, right? The rules that we hold up that set us free. I just want to add, add to it based on that scripture. The, these are, the Ten Commandments are the disciplines of grace on the path of life. If you want to truly live, it starts by confessing, God, I have put other things in front of you. And it starts with me doing that. I, I, I can do that. I, it's amazing in my own life. If you're not careful, what you what can become a God so quickly. I've, I did it once when I first moved here. I got one of those shoulder season passes to the golf course. I did, it started out, I just wanted to improve. But then every Monday, it was like, you know, I've put where my money goes, there my heart is. And my money went $300 to the Eagle Ranch golf course. So I needed to go over there and get, you know, because I'm a good steward of God's resources and wanted to maximize my dollar. You see how bad that sounds? Got to go hit buckets of balls. And, and, and it becomes, it can become a mini-God You can become so obsessed with fitness, like, oh, I missed a workout. So, <laughs> you probably, my goal, my main goal in telling people at the gym, you need to rest more. People are like, I got to work out 18 times a week. Why? Just work out three and go home and rest. Or we get so caught up into fitness and what we eat is like, I can't have that piece of bread with that yummy butter. I mean, uh, eat it, have a cookie. Just one, but you don't have to have like 30 because then that can, it can can go back and forth. Well, my God is super fitness. No, now my God is cookie monster. It's just weird. We just follow the one true God and, and just let all this other stuff go. Father, thank you for the disciplines of grace on the path of life. Thank you. You didn't leave us without direction. You don't save us and say, figure it out. You say, Number one, trust me, follow me, give yourself completely to me. And so, Lord, I would ask in my own life, in the life of my wife and children, in the life of everybody here, I would ask that we would put you first and where we haven't put you first, that we would get with our spouse or with an accountability partner, with an elder, and just confess and that we would see in confession the mercy comes and the grace comes that we would see your love poured out on us because we're getting right with you. There's only one of you and you are wonderful and you are great and you are perfect and you love us. Might we see that clearly and live in a manner worthy of that good news. I pray this thing in Christ's name, amen.